Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've been away for a couple of weeks. Yes. You have been sunning it up. Sunning it up, it's winter. Yeah, it's just uh, winter in the Southern Hemisphere. You've been, you've been wintering it up in Argentina. I've been in Argentina, I've been to Buenos Aires, and I've been seeing lots of movies there, actually. So, kind of, that was great. That was uh, a great experience to see, kind of, what was available to see there. Um, all the big films were the same. Um, I really did come back with a firm opinion that cinema as a mass medium really is dead. <laughs> um, so uh, you you still had the big cinemas like we do here, and actually they were all showing the same thing. They were all showing Lion King, you know, and Toy Story Four, uh, and those big mall cinemas uh, in Buenos Aires. They had they had like children's toys and rides and all based on Toy Story 4 Lion King actually so in the cinemas in the cinemas so the distributors must provide them for, for the cinemas there um, so there was this combination of really fantastic art cinema and a great choice of art cinema in Buenos Aires actually and I saw a lot of that I saw the new Almodovar film the new Jajanke the new Ceylon film um, all those were available to see but, you know, so you have, like, these really great films that are being seen by, like, an audience of 30 each night, anyway, when I went. And then I didn't go see Toy Story 4 there. Uh, but I imagine those were pretty crowded. But really, the big thing was Netflix. So, you know, before you'd walk around the city center and you see the advertisements for the new Julia Roberts film or, mm. you know, the new Tom Cruise film or something. Now all those gigantic five-story toy... Uh, um, uh, boards, advertising boards, oh, yeah. are all about, you know, La Casa de Papel <laughs> in Buenos Aires, right? The, the new big Netflix series, right, mm -hmm. are the ones that are getting those, like, six-story billboards. Um, so so that was very interesting for me, really. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the Netflix is what people are seeing globally and what they're discussing globally. Obviously, the Marvel films are are like that. In fact, the person who just served us popcorn had, you know, a fantastic tattoo of the Flash on one side of his arm, you know, and Batman on the other that really could have been, you know, a comic book yes, panel. Straight up, yeah. Yeah. In all those colors, right? You know, the exact colors. I don't know how they achieved that. So, so, but anyway, those are things kind of we're thinking about, right? What are the, what are the movies today? And, you know, is it all Toy Story 4s and Lion Kings and Marvel? And are, you know, are the people who are going to see the Zhajanke and so on, just like a tiny minority of people, really? So, you know, is it kind of something equivalent? You know how, like, in the 80s, you used to have, like, this distinction. I mean, people were still reading lots of books, but you'd have this distinction between the top 10 books, right? The, the, the um, what's Joan Collins' sister? Anyway you know, the kinds of books that she would write, Hollywood Husbands and Hollywood Wives and, you know, uh, or the thrillers, the Ludlum thrillers or whatever. And then you'd have, like, the literary novel, right? The Philip Roth and, uh, uh, you know, people like that. Uh, so is cinema becoming kind of like that now? Jackie right? Collins. Jackie Collins, yes. Of course, yeah. Um, so, so, anyway, just the idle thoughts, really, that kind of, yeah. you know, I went to... 
Well, I've done, I've done none of that while you've been away. I've just been watching adaptations of John Grisham novels and Jodie Foster films. Well, that's great. You know? And, and I've been What views have you come? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> What's your conclusion? My conclusion is that I, uh, some John Grisham films are better than others and some Jodie Foster films are better than others. But I would... Let me push you on that because actually I think the John Grisham films taken as a whole are really very good. They're, you know, some are better than others, but they're a very high level. Yeah, I generally agree. I, I think the reason I was interested in watching them is because I've realised recently sort of how, how much I enjoy legal dramas and especially yes. courtroom dramas. Um, and also he's the sort of, he's got a huge string of them and he, he was a lawyer, I think. And that's where I don't know about him. Um, I think that's kind of why that's, that's why that's his writing. Mm. Um, and, and I hadn't seen, so I, I watched The Rainmaker, I watched The Firm. Um, I think The Rainmaker is great. I think The Firm is great. And I watched the... The Matthew McConaughey one. The other one about racism. What's it called? I can't, I'm terrible <laughs> at titles. I've already but forgotten. There's a courtroom drama with Matthew McConaughey and Sandra Bullock, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yes. And Samuel L. Jackson. Uh-huh. Which, yeah, and so... I, and there's another one called The Juror. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, which I think is also very interesting. Um, it's about playing the jury. Um, I, I think the one I enjoyed the most was... John Cusack, sorry. No, no. Um, I think the one I enjoyed the most was The Rainmaker because it, it kind of portrayed the way people live their lives in a, in a quite in quite an engrossing way. And the way that... The, way that you, the kind of problems of actually, actually running a law firm this guy sets up. It's, it's uh, Matt Damon and... Um, Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, and they set up this law firm, and then all of a sudden, like the, the problems are, we need cash flow, we need this and the other, we need jobs coming in. Danny DeVito is really great as this kind of hustling character. Yes. Um, but then also, it, it focuses on these three cases that Matt Damon is doing, where the, one of them is about um, this woman who's been beaten by her husband, and then she's also kind of a love interest. Um, the, the one about the mother who wants her will sorted out and her kids are, mm. kind of once they discover there might be some money involved, all of a sudden they change their attitude sort of thing. And then the main one is this thing about this kid who's dying uh, because of a uh, health insurance company that denied him uh, the health care that they should have given. And the way in which it kind of it portrays people struggling and, and having very realistic struggles in life. These are all realistic things mm. to be coping with. And it kind of puts them in the centre. But the one sort of central problem of it is that Matt Damon's character is beyond perfect. Mm. Apart from the fact he's kind of a rube because he's young and he's only kind of new as a lawyer, so he doesn't really know how the courtroom works. He He's clever and he believes all the right things and his heart's in the right place and everything he does is just perfect. And that's kind of annoying. you know. I mean, because I, I kind of looked at reviews uh, when I watched it and I didn't see anyone sort of picking up on that. Whereas you look at, you look at like Ray in the Star Wars New Star Wars films. Someone's like, "Oh, what a Mary Sue! Oh, she can just fix a spaceship, can she?" You know, it, I I think someone needed to pick up on that. That didn't bother me because actually, actually, you feel almost like kind of the opposite because I think that casting with Matt Damon, which which was before he became a real star, yeah, yeah, right. Um, so actually, in a way, it was daring casting because you were casting somebody who had gotten a bit of a name but who wasn't a box office star as the central character. So. And the thing about Matt Damon always is that he does look like an every guy. He's not super handsome, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I suppose in movie star terms, that's his failure and his strength. Yeah, he's well, he an every man. Yeah, that, you know, 
I mean, he's not Matthew McConaughey solving a case, isn't he? True. Right. So, you know, kind of... So you're meant to think that he is ordinary, not perfect. Yeah, but then but then everything else that he does is perfect. Yes. I mean, yeah, I think, I think it's a failing in the film. I think it's kind of, the lawyer is perfect, look at him go, and he wins the case. I, but, well, um, it's a while since I've seen it, but yeah. I'm not sure I, I, I agree. I think, you know, in my memory... And certainly in any narrative view, he must have been given some weakness. But he really wasn't. I think the the only real weakness is that he has to, takes his time to learn how the courtroom works. You know, he keeps like judge keeps having to tell him, no, you don't do this, you do this, and and the other lawyers are laughing at him. But he's 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 the plucky underdog all the way through. You know, mm. um, but I, but but I mean that's the sound, I'm making more of that than it is though. It's a really it is a really good movie. It's the best one that I watched. Mm. The firm is not. Is that Capola? Yes. Yes. Um, the firm is nonsense trash. Um, I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad, but it's trash. Well. <laughs> and um, and the other one was, was interesting. Yeah. But I don't remember that one. A Time to Kill or A View to Kill? That's it, Time to Kill. Time to Kill. Um, the other one. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't remember it enough, well enough to, to remember mm. what I thought about it. I liked it, but... I would really recommend you see The Juror. Because um, that's about controlling juries, and it's with John Cusack, right. kind of you know okay. blackmailing someone through jury control. Uh, it's very good. It's kind of yeah. you know it changes your expectations kind of all the way through. I think those are all quite good movies, really. Um, anyway, um, yes. Anyway, so that's that's what we've been up to. Yes. Um, but today on our great uh, our reunion. We saw Toy Story 4. We saw Toy Story 4, uh, which, uh, as you uh, said, you, you yeah. haven't seen. I saw while you were away. I watched. I went to see it with Matt. Um, more satisfying the second time. Uh-huh. Uh, what did you... I, and I liked it the first time. What did you make of it? Well, I mean, I think it's hugely enjoyable. The animation is very good. I slept through the first ten minutes, or I dozed mm, off. I agree. You know. Um, but you, you know what struck me this time? is how... Because, you know, in a way, I didn't get Pixar, right? Kind of... I, I always figured, if you want to make this film, why don't you make it live action, right? Because, you know, it's a decision to make this kind of animated. Because you could easily make this film live action, I think. What, toys? Yeah. How so? I mean, like puppets or stop motion? Yeah, them. with puppetry and things like that. Um, so, you know... Uh, um, but anyway, well, I mean, I can tell you why they chose toys right at the start back in Toy Story One yeah. was because they were when they were developing computer animation to the point where they thought they could make a movie out of it. They couldn't render anything that realistically, and plastic was about the most realistic thing that, that would look good. Yes, you know, you couldn't do skin, you couldn't do kind of fabrics all that well. Okay, now Plast- you can. Of course, now you can, but they're, but they're not going to change. Okay, okay. used to be Toy Story. They've done lots of other movies, but Toy Story is still about toys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm not quibbling. I mean, I thought. Some of the moments of subtle expression in this film are really great. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it can be real subtle now. Uh, almost kind of uncannily human-like subtle. Yeah, like, there's little, you know, uh, the, the little Bo Beep does things with her face. Yeah, just like mm. a little grimace. Yeah, that's very subtle and very easily communicated. So, so I enjoyed all of it. Um, it moves very well. Um, I love the Captain Canuck thing with Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was marvellous. The Evil Knievel, but the, from Canada type. Yeah. Um, 
So, I kind of, I suppose, I mean, my greatest pleasure in watching the film was watching you respond to everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you loved it all. You were laughing at everything. Yeah. You know, uh, all the jokes worked on you. I mean, it was marvelous to see. Um, I, I mean, really loved it. All those jokes just as much the second time. I mean, I was laughing like a drain the first time. Yeah, I suppose I have issues with it, really, uh, kind of as a concept. I mean, <laughs> I haven't worked, so I'm thinking out loud. I haven't worked any of this out, you know, but... Um, I think there's kind of like a slavish mentality to the whole concept, right? Like, you know, these are basically things that people own. And, you know, the things that people own that are really people, you know, feel like this blind loyalty to their owners. It has kind of like a slave thing running through it. Yeah, the kind of... I can see what you're going for, but I don't agree. I don't... I think it's... I think it's a bit of a stretch listen i'm saying i haven't worked it out yeah, yeah. but you know you're watching it and i'm thinking it yeah. right so you know it might be wrong it might not be there but these are the thoughts that were going through my mind right that kind of you know so these whole concepts of duty and loyalty really to owners is something that i you know i thought plantation owners would have loved this shit right like you know <laughs> So, so, you know, kind of not to piss on your parade. No, no. But it makes me uncomfortable. Well, I think that's that's um, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, I think I think it's more of a kind of it's like a partnership thing. Not you know they don't they don't talk about their owners. They talk about their kids. Yeah, you know the ones that they're there to look after. And in Toy Story, I know, like mommy. (laughs) In Toy in Toy Story three, you know, it was it was this thing about that film. That film wasn't so much for the kids as it was for the parents. The ending of that film is all about the kind of emotional wrench of giving your kid away. Your kid grows up and they're going to move out, no longer be with you, and that's what the toys have to go through. Mm. As as they uh, Andy grows up and they get given to Bonnie, which I mean I think that is the most emotional ending of of all the films, and I think this is probably overall the weakest film. Uh-huh. Um, well, the first time it felt kind of episodic in a way. It felt like fan fiction almost. Like mm. like like the other three films were a continuing continuance of a strong story. And this one felt like a what if sort of thing. Mm. Um the second time I watched it just now, it felt more fulfilling in that respect. And I liked it a lot more. And I don't remember the first time how much how emotional because there there were kind of two emotional endings. There's the one with the uh, Gabby Gabby toy. Yeah. As she kind of fulfills her sort of you know, gets what she wants and goes off with the kid. And the other one is Woody leaving and and kind of finding his place. Um I don't remember how either of those endings worked on me the first time, but this time they both got me. Mm. Really, really and I and, and I love them. I think actually the, the some of the direction doesn't seem to me all that strong, but Which aspects? You know what, maybe I'm being unfair on him. I think actually it's a story issue because you look at the credits and there's there's about 15 people credited as having a part in the story. And I think it shows because there are there are some incredibly complex kind of plot machinations. The plot moves around and the characters go here, then they go there, then they need this, then they need that, and they're back here and over there and in the shop. And it's it jumps around the plot. Mm. You know, there's a lot of like, and then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And I think it doesn't quite cohere 
in that respect. So I'm probably I'm actually probably being unfair to the director, but definitely the opening 10, 15 minutes, as you say, are a snooze. Mm. It takes a long time to get going. Um, you know, it's where Forky shows up and then things kind of liven up for a bit and then they drop down again. Yeah. And then it's when Bo Peep, I think, re-enters the story that, it's, that it really livened up. And the Bo Peep thing is interesting to me because both times I saw it, right at the start, I didn't buy the relationship between Woody and Bo Peep that the film kind of hinges on. Uh-huh. It hinges on their emotional relationship. And, it's, and throughout the other films, it's been like, oh, there's Woody and Bo Peep, and you kind of think, I guess there's, they're a sort of couple thing, but they're friends. And it's, never, it's never been a thing, really. So I think the film opening on that is asking you to buy a bit more of, from what the other films have mm. had than there actually is. But then as the film goes on and their relationship in this film develops, by the end, I'm really with it and mm. believing it, which is why I the mean, ending worked on me. I think, to me, the most interesting thing about the film that isn't quite successful is um, the way that they've tried to make it more girl-powery, right? So, you know, the child this time is a girl, right? And you have, at the beginning, kind of, you know, the whole thing with uh, choosing the cowgirl, choosing to play with a cowgirl rather than with Woody, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, the changing of the badge of sheriff, right? Which then becomes a thing at the end, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, they've tried to make the film more feminist, for a lack of a better word, right? To kind of, you know, put more of an emphasis on on female characters, yeah? Female toys. Certainly with Bo Peep. Um, I'm not not sure I agree entirely with with, uh, Bonnie choosing to play with Jessie at the start. That's more to me about Woody being discarded and and feeling like he's no longer got his place. But but the reason why Woody is being discarded is because before he had a boy master and now there's a girl, there's a little girl mistress who's choosing the toys. And it makes sense that she's choosing a girl toy over a boy toy. I mean, I think those things are related. Mm. Yeah, and this thing about the badge, that she takes the badge away from Woody and puts it on... Jesse. Jesse, you know, I think kind of... There's, anyway, I think that's a running thread throughout, you know, this one that I haven't seen before, right? So there's that, there's the, the Bo Beep who's given all this action and smarts and, you know, and so on. Yeah. Um, for quite a lot of the film. And then there's the thing with the... Gabby Gabby. Gabby Gabby, right? Those are quite important elements in a film that are kind of female-orientated that I don't remember from the previous Toy Story films. No, the others are um, more, much more male. Yes. Yeah. So I don't think they're very successfully kind of integrated. Yeah. Uh, it always reverts back to the boys. Though, you know, one of the things that surprised me is what a relatively small part Buzz yeah. had this the, time around. The other toys that you remember from the previous films, yeah, apart from Woody, they have much, much smaller parts to play here. Yes. It's all about it's about the new toys. It's about Bo Peep coming back, so Bo Peep's there. Um, but it's about this, this Gabby Gabby and her uh, kind of trauma and her, her villain-ness. Um, I... I mean, obviously, you can, you can look at it as sort of saying, I think, I, think I think it works really well. I think Bo Peep particularly works really well. No one's worried about how it would work. I love Bo Peep. Because I think, you She's know... my favourite character in the film. The, um, the, when the advertising sort of, sort of came out at long last, everyone was spending a long time anticipating Toy Story 4, and then it was Bo Peep on the post, and people were like, Bo fucking Peep? Like, you know, she was nothing... Because <laughs> she, she was nothing in the other film. She wasn't that important. Yeah. Um, 
and in this film, they, they turn her into this. She, she's been a lost toy for a long time. She's been, for like seven years, she's been on her own, kind of surviving on the streets sort of thing. And, um, and she's become a, a, a kind of action hero. And I can, I can totally see how if you were being very uncharitable, which I'm not saying you are, if one were being uncharitable, they would look at that and go, well, of course, they're doing like a girl power thing. But I think it actually works very, very well. And they can really make something out of her character. I love her little friend as well, the tiny little police officer who sits on her shoulder, who's I a girl her. as well. Yeah. And, they're, and they are kind of girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. You know, not in a lesbian way, I mean like friends who are girls, like your best yeah, mate. Yeah. And they talk about that cowboy. Oh, is that that cowboy? Oh, you told me about him. I love all of that about the film. You know, I just don't think it's integrated. So if they wanted to make like a kind of feminist toy story, you know, then they wouldn't have had all the major decisions revert back to the men, really. So which is not to say that I don't love the individual instances of that or the attempts to, you know. I mean, I loved all the sections with Bo Beep, you know, and I loved uh, Gabby Gabby. <laughs> you know, she does look like something out of a horror film. You know, but it kind of yeah. ended up being like quite well, working quite well. So all those things I like. I, I mean, I think, you know, the only thing that I'm troubled with is really like the ideology of the film. I'm not sure how to describe it. So, for example, you know, aside from the things that I already said about being owned and, you know, this false sense of loyalty, you know, that the, the, the film kind of promotes. Right. So obviously loyalty is a quality. It's not a quality in every instance, and it's kind of, it's not a quality, you know, in this sense. I mean, it comes across as a kind of servility to me to, you know, to be loyal to people who kind of own you and then discard you because that is your lot in life. Um, and actually, the thing at the end, which is meant to be this very romantic thing, and actually I was wondering if some of the imagery wasn't already from the place beyond the pines, you know, that kind of romantic Ferris wheel, yeah, where they play the love the love element in front of it, yeah. Bo Peep and um, Woody. Woody. You know, I, w I wondered about the influence of the place beyond the pines on that image. Um, but anyway, this thing that you know, it's all—it's okay to be discarded. You know, after having given a lifetime of love and work and care and thought, you know, it's almost like very Trumpist. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, so so. I mean, these are. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. Discarded? Yes, kind of. Yes, Woody's discarded. He's sacrificed himself. He's given up his voice box to someone else. You know, and all of a sudden he's like homeless. He's he, made, he makes two choices. They're both his choices. I know he's slightly forced into the one to be fair. He's back into a corner. But the one at the end, it, it's, it's his choice. You know, if you're talking about um, you know, being owned, his choice at the end is then not to be owned. Well, I know. It's, well, the thing is that there's no place for him in that home anymore. You know, he's unloved there. And according to, I mean, what the film tells you is that he's not needed there, which I'm sure is what factories tell workers. You're not needed. <laughs> right? Like, uh, uh, run along with this with me, okay? I'm, I'm, you know, because I think it is there in the, I mean, it's, it is there in, on some level. It's not consistent. I'm not saying the film is trying to communicate these ideas, right? You know, but I think kind of, yeah, there's elements of kind of common thought in America that kind of are being seen in this film in various ways, you know. And one of them to me is, you know, that something is used and used up, you know, and discarded that that's okay and that people should be happy with that. So. But that thing has value. 
and he realizes his own value, and it. And what, he, I, I, what he realizes his own value. He realizes, you know, it, he's been loyal all this time. He's been loyal to his kids. Yes. The most important thing has been his kids. I mean, they they go so far as to put words in Bo Peep's mouth to to disaffect in the film. He always looks out for his kid. That's the first thing he ever does. Yes. And that's his quality. Um, and then that the point is at the end he realizes he, he is no longer needed by his kid. His kid has something else. His kid values this forky more, and. He can look out for himself now. Actually, he's doing he's doing himself a disservice. Well, he's always been able to look out for himself. I mean, that's what they're based on all of the adventures. I mean, this is a film in which basically, you know, two homeless people at the end find each other, but actually, they are now on the road. They are homeless, right? Right. So you know, we, we and well. It's a significant thing that, you know, you you have, you know, two people rendered homeless, you know, and the film is trying to tell you, well, they love each other and they found each other and that's a good thing. And it's better to be homeless, you know, and have love, you know, and be with this person, you know, than to be unwanted in a home. What are you talking about? It, do, it, it, it doesn't... Can you not see this at all? I, mean, I, I can't. I can't see where you're getting homelessness from. It's not about being well because homeless. homeless. Like I know he literally doesn't have a Look, home to oh, stay. Oh come on! No, I Mike, think I think you all the characters spend, you know, all of the film trying to find an owner, right? Because trying to find an owner is finding a home, right? And they they call themselves homeless. You know, been on the shelf for eight years, right? This yeah. So, it's about so, relationships. It's not about being owned. Their, their whole thing is... They're, I'm they're sure about... that that's what all the slave owners thought. It's about relationships. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think homeless I is... I love a, my man. I think, I, think <laughs> I think homeless is a ridiculous way of pushing it. Well, but it's not... Because it's not, it's not how anyone thinks about it. they're homeless. Of, yeah, they, they, they're, they're going not, they're, on well, the road. They're far happier. You know, well, like they, know if that. they're slaves, they're now liberated. We don't know that. Oh, for Christ's sake. What do you mean we don't know that? Well, we don't know that. Well, you're making it up just... They're beginning their adventure on the road, which will be harsh and cruel. Yeah, and, and what does Bo Peep say? She says, I've been, I've been lost for seven years, and I've never been happier. She does say that. She says that right at the start. And you see how happy she is, she's, and she's, she's activated her own life, and she's become a brand new person. And she she's homeless. So what, though? You're saying homelessness as if like you're, you're equating it to, and this is going to be the worst thing in the world for them. I mean, the film starts off with Bo Peep is nev- has not been happier. You know, but don't you think that that's an interesting thing in the film? So let's, I think let's yeah, say, I do think it's interesting, but I I don't know why I don't know where you're getting your the, the negativity from. Well, don't you think it's <laughs> don't you think that a, a film that tells you, you know, isn't it fantastic to be homeless that that is in itself a problem? I don't think it's talking about homelessness. Like that's not the interesting part about what it's talking about. That's not the that's not the important part about where they are in their lives. That's a function of the, of, of them giving up their places. Just because they put a little glitter ball. It's not about glitter. Wanna, it's, it's about missing. Feel good the, about it. It's not about <laughs> glitter. It's about missing the point. The, the film isn't going, and and now they don't live in a home anymore, and that's the important thing. It's about them looking out for themselves instead of thinking about looking out for kids. If if you well, you want to carry on your thing about slavery. And about how they're slaves, you should be. You should love that. They have given up their slavery. They have become liberated. They've been discarded and used up by capitalism. Yeah, okay. You know, and the film is trying to kind of put a good front on that. How wonderful it is to be an unemployed, homeless, okay. 
<laughs> I can see I'm making you mad. Why is that? I'm just, <laughs> just winding me up. Silly. Well, I'm not, I'm not deliberately winding you up. I think you are. <laughs> A little bit. But I think it's silly. I know. I think these things are in the film. And I told you, I haven't kind of worked them out properly. But I think they are there. And actually, it's the kind of thing that I find slightly disturbing about the film. You know, kind of, what is it trying to tell you? What, are the, what do you think is, the, like, the overall message of the film? You know, that you need to find your owner? Well, not here it isn't. Hmm? Not here it isn't. Well, Gabby Gabby is all about finding... Gabby Gabby is, but she finds it different. I mean, she, 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 she's the one who... She doesn't get the one she wants, but she realises she can have a place somewhere yes. else. But that's, that's certainly not Woody's story. Well, Woody's story in this film is that he begins the film by already kind of, you know, being kind of unwanted, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, his kid has grown up. There's a girl now. He's got no useful role, and you know. Uh, so he gives himself one that isn't asked for. You know, so he makes her first day in kindergarten kind of better than it would have been without him. But she doesn't notice. She doesn't care. You know, so... It's about, it's, the film is about a man who's got no role in society and ends up used up, giving his voice box and ending up on the street. And the film tells us that that's okay because he finds love. No, it doesn't. Okay, give me your version. I, th- I, I, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think the film goes, that's okay because he finds love. Mm. He... he he makes his own life better. He re- he realizes his own value to himself. I think is what happens. Mm. I think that's what it is at the end. Mm. <laughs> I am so destroying your pleasure in this film. No, you're not at all because I think you because I just don't agree with you. I'm making you so angry. I can see it in your face. <laughs> I'm not saying you know. But that's I'm exactly saying that if, the if way you want to, if you want to be all rich, fucking Richard Brody about it and go, well, I listen to jazz oh, and have smart oh, things to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, I don't want to go that route. But I think these things are there in the film. So, uh, and I have to think about them some more, right? So, on the one hand, there are the things that I really loved about the film. I actually loved the way the film moved. Yeah. Right. I love the way that it used those. What, what were those puppets that were like horror movie guys? Oh, yeah, they're, they're these sort of old 50s smart guy dolls. Yeah. Smart, dressly, dressed smartly, weird yes. looking old things. Actually, they looked like uh, Edgar, Ed, Edgar Bergen and whatever his Muppet was, you know, that he did ventriloquism on. That's right, they're like ventriloquist dummies. Yeah, That's so it. they looked a bit like that, and they were very um, creepy and weird and fun to watch. Um yeah, Gabby Gabby was also weird and creepy and fun to watch. Um, I think I think the film looked fantastic. I think it looked very well. I think some of the jokes really worked. Some of the verbal humor was fantastic. Um, so I think kind of yeah, she, she's a more interesting villain, Gabby Gabby, than they've had before in Toy Story. Yes, because she's think. not really a villain. So in Toy Story one, two, and three, the villains were proper villains, and they got beaten, discarded, thrown away. Wherever it was, in like Sid got beaten, um, Stinky Pete in the second one got sent to live with a, a, a girl who dressed him up like Barbie. The third one was that lots of lots of hugs bear, I think it was called, Lotto, and he got dumped somewhere. You know, so they all just get beaten. Mm. And in this one you kind of think that might be where um where Gabby Gabby ends up. But Woody 
you can look at this two ways, I suppose, but there's one way of looking at it, which is that Woody sacrifices his own voice box because that's what she wants. Hers is defective. Hers yes. has been defective since the factory. So she can get someone to love. So she can get someone to love. And she thinks if I get if this voice box becomes mine, then the girl will love me. And it turns out actually the girl discards her immediately. She doesn't care. And mm. so Gabby Gabby becomes a sort of pity case. You know, so despite the fact she's been terrorising the characters the whole time, she turns out to be someone who may be deserving of help. <clears throat> and she gets this this uh, happy ending. I think it's an unequivocally happy ending for, for her. You know, she gets to sell herself back into slavery. And at last, you know, she's been an unwanted slave all this time. And she fi- finally finds a girl yes. to, uh, to win They've been looking at her teeth, you know, found her deficient... Oh, you she, know, she, but now she's got her voice box. <laughs> she, she, she finds a girl in the um, in the in the carnival who she thinks, yeah, I, this girl might want me, and as it happens, she does. So she gets her ending, and it's it's a more interesting thing that they did with this villain, quote unquote, than the rest because she's understood. Yes, she won't she's get anywhere. She won't get anywhere by just sitting on the shelf. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's slightly more interesting, and I like that. And I think it leads to the, to the most emotional part of the film. I love that. You know, what was the most emotional part of the film? It's when she, when Find when the somebody. kid picks her up. Yeah, exactly. You know, I didn't expect that at all. No, I like that. Um, I love Forky. I mean, I Forky's Forky. the kind of character that I would write. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know when when he's when he thinks he's trash at the start, and he doesn't understand anything else, and he just keeps saying trash and trying to climb into the bin. I love. I'm really into any cartoon character that is just really, really dumb. You know, I find the ending filthy, though. Filthy. Yes. What? What? Which? When Mrs. Ford. Oh. <laughs> what's filthy about it? Well, her smile keeps growing and growing and growing. What's, okay. What's, well, it's clearly an erection. <laughs> no, I didn't notice his mouth. But... <laughs> I have to have another. You look. laughed each time it grew. Well, I don't. I wasn't responding to those to those grows. I was just laughing at the scene. Oh. Um, where you, you know, because it's this, because it's like fucking Casablanca. Right. <laughs> 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 um, no, I, I mean, I'm really into character, cartoon characters that are dumb. There's like, there's nothing funnier to me than Homer Simpson looking blank oh. and with his with his lips sort of pursed and just looking into the distance. Like he has no fucking idea what's going on. That's the funniest image in the world to me. And there's a lot of that going on with. Forky. There's also that fantastic shot where the 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 toys are sabotaging the RV mm. to keep oh, it that's up, wonderful. to keep it at the carnival. And again, I love I love characters. I love when the toys are just fucking with people. That's great. And there's there's a shot that combines those two things, which is where Mrs. Potato Head is plugging and unplugging the electrics <laughs> and making it stop and start. Yes. And she's just like she looks so dumb and blank, like she doesn't even know what she's doing. Yes. While she's, and it's just I, that shot. The first time I saw it, I was laughing for two, three minutes after that happened. Like uh, other stuff had happened, I was still laughing at that bit. It's fucking great. Yes. Well, you clearly loved it again today. It's got a lot of good jokes, but I do think it's probably the worst Toy Story film. Why do you think that? I don't know. I think it is the least substantial, probably. It made me laugh. It, like the, the second film made me laugh the most. The third film made me feel the most. It might be better than the first one. Um, but I, it just it does feel like it's the most that is. Let me tell you what I think the problem is. The problem is that all of the other films were about the bond between these two boys and the child, right? 
Yeah. And in this one, there's no bond between the toys and the child. The child is oblivious to the toy protagonist. Yeah. And I think that's a vacuum there in the middle of this film. Yeah. You know, that might have been resolved, you know, had the 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 child developed a relationship with Jesse or had the child relationship the the child developed a relationship with Gabby Gabby previously. Or had there been a way of bringing back Bo Beep into the house, right? I mean, there's clearly, you know, changing the gender of the child makes a, a huge difference. And that's not worked through, mm. right? So I think the whole theme of, yes, the discarding of uh, Woody, I think, you know, that's a really interesting thing. You know, but because there isn't a bond between, you know, a toy and this child, which is now a different gender, there's a kind of a vacuum, an emotional vacuum, I think, for me in the film. Mm. I think, yeah, yeah, you have a point. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, yeah. And there's a lack of courage on the part of the filmmakers because I think the normal thing really would have been, you know, to create a great female toy, to go with this new great, you know, like, child. Mm. But, you know, they obviously couldn't let let go of the protagonist. (coughs) So, um, which they wouldn't have needed to let him go, but just proportionally give him a different place, like they did with Buzz. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Just that, like that, that would be a recapitulation of the first film, where mm. the new toy comes in and up, up seats, uh, whatever up seats, outs Woody. Yes. Um, you know, like I think it's it's interesting the the the, the thing about her inventing her own toy. Yes. Um, is a novel thing, and I, and I think it works, and because Woody still. Like the thing, the thing that's interesting about Woody's character is the whole, all the films, even from the first one, he's kind of been a dick, because he's always been so sure of himself and sure of his place, and he's the leader, and that's just the way mm. it goes. I'm the leader, and um, and that's obviously what the first one is is about, you know, uh, disturbing. Um, but even even from then on, it's just been hey, we all just listen to Woody, mm. and there was this thing him trying to assert that here. And it and it not being like it's it's completely in question. No one listens to him. Yeah, from the start, it's interesting. Well, I think what's interesting is so, and this is part of the problem because the film makes attempts to deal with that. So, for example, the new leader is that girl toy. Yeah, yeah, but he always upstages her. He mansplains her away. Yes, right. Yeah. So the film is making these attempts at kind of putting feminist elements into it that don't quite cohere, even in that way, right? So, and I think that does come from a kind of a fear of letting go of Woody, even though the whole film is about letting go of Woody. Mm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, there's one other thing which occurred to me the first time I watched it, and I, I, it remains a, a niggle for me this time, which is the Key and Peel characters. The, the two fluffy ones. Oh, uh, yes. They have a kind of lot of attitude. and Yes, and I like them. I like them, but they reminded me in a really, really negative way of those two um, robots in one of, one of the Transformers films. There were these two robots that had that were kind of basically black stereotypes. Yes, well, these are black stereotypes. And it, and it kind of really points out to kind of whiteness in the whole... Yes. Affair and well, it's where my it's, I think that influenced my whole plantation massa <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. You know that that also plays a role in it. Yeah, may have done. Yeah, it, it, 
that it really it really occurred to me the first time. And it's like although it doesn't make them sort of any less charming or funny because they are, um, it's it's stuck with me the whole time. They're charming know? and they're funny, but it's black people to laugh at once again. Yeah, and, and in cons- a peripheral role and conspicuous <laughs> by their blackness. Like that's why they're there. Yes. you know they're not just. I mean, because then. Uh, you sort, of, you sort of then notice of, of the human characters because there are lots now. And there's a whole carnival full of them. Mm. Um, you know how many aren't white? Yes. Of the who, who get any kind of screen time of note, yes. and there's the the girl who uh, picks up Gabby Gabby right at the end. Yes. Isn't white. Yes. And there yes. is there's like one girl, and I think her mum you see for a split second in the classroom right at the beginning on the on yes. orientation day for Bonnie at school. Mm. You see for half a second. And, um, you know, who isn't white? And everyone else, and, there's, and the, the, the family is this kind of, you know, white, brown head, sort of just the standard version of everything family that we can all be comfortable with because they're white and so. And, and you know, it wouldn't necessarily be so bad. It would be, it would be boring and lazy and all the rest of it. But it wouldn't be so bad in a way if they didn't have these token comedy black characters being, being black for our comedy pleasure yes. you know in that way well I mean I think several interesting things there you know that um, you know so what is blackness because in a way mm. like you know visually there's nothing about these toys right so actually it's all coming from the language and the way of speaking yeah right that's the way that the blackness is connoted um, and I do think that the bringing in of you know the mixed race child with her mixed race parents at the end you know, might it be a way of like, it's a tokenistic gesture, I think, actually. Uh, I mean, in a way, welcome, yeah, but also tokenistic. It gets given very little space. And there is something, I think, unappealing or discomforting about, yeah, the, those, um, what, what, what are their names again? Keen Peel. Yeah. The comedians. Yes. Um, You know, kind of, you know, which are such a marker of, you know, a certain type of American blackness, really, of black culture that's coming through those voices. And that is being used entirely for humor. And that they're made to seem dumb also, right? It is like a kind of, you know, an old-fashioned stereotype of American cinema, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of the dumb kind of you know, black comedian used entirely for comedic purposes in which actually kind of, you know, being dumb and ineffectual and so on is part of what you're laughing at. There's something in that about those characters. And I think, you know, that bringing in, you know, the, the black girl for Gabby Gabby or the mixed race child for Gabby Gabby and the black parents at the end is a way of... Um, there's something weird in there. For it there's something weird going on in there as well because Gabby Gabby... The design of her and the look of her. I mean, it's surprising in a way that, that a toy like her hasn't featured in Toy Story 4. She's such a classic sort of doll design. Yes. Um, that, like, it really speaks of a, of a 1950s. It does. Sort of Americana Perfect. whiteness. Yeah, white, whiteness. Yeah, it yeah. does. Um, so, so, but I like even... That's no, right, go on. Yeah, and that's interesting, right? So, you know, this kind of almost archetype of whiteness signified by this doll with the freckles and the green eyes and the perfect slightly reddish hair, you know, then finding, you know, an owner in, um, you know, the, the mixed-race child. Something interesting about that. And, and I do think that all of these things have been thought through, you know. Mm. 
like a, you know, I don't well, think well if, if and even if not thought through deserve, like deserving of thought and explanation yes. and all the rest yeah. I, uh, I you know I think I, the interesting thing about Key, Key and Peel to go back to them briefly is the, their their kind of quote unquote black persona is a very ironic one I think because they, they, they did a film called Keanu I think Okay, yeah, I don't know. It, it was, yeah, I'm sure it was basically a parody of John Wick, or it started off as a parody of John Wick because John mm. Wick is about the guy loses his dog and he goes and kills everyone. Mm. And and in this one, they have a kitten called Keanu, and then that gets nicked by like some gangsters, and they and then they end up getting sort of pulled you know, mm. pulled into a, a a world they're not used to. But uh, as I recall, it was, I did see the film. I don't remember that much about it. Um, but as I recall it, it's like the 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 world that they get. Uh, sort of pulled into is a very stereotypically gangster black world, mm. and the and the joke is that it's a world that although they sort of look like they should understand, they look like they should be part of it from their skin tone, um, they don't at all. And actually, they they are really really not used to it. And they're they're so they're these kind of they're out they are how kind of white people out of water. It's 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 there's a thing going on like that is the joke of their persona in that film. And there's an element of that in in the in their sketch show as well, mm. um, where they're kind of. I remember one sketch in particular. They come out of a scary movie, seen some horror movie, and they're acting all macho about how you know how they didn't you know they didn't get scared and everything was cool, but they are terrified actually walking back to their car, you know. So like the 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 incongruity of the way they speak and the way they behave, mm. you know. Um, but there's there's this a kind of ironic sort of shifting persona, and and I think that's part of that's that's that kind of feeds into their characters in this somehow. Yes, um, like I think it would be different if it were like Chris Rock and Kevin Hart or someone who don't play on an irony in that way. Mm. You know, but they do. Yes, I don't know. I mean, and again, you know, they're very funny. It works very well in the film. There's just something slightly this. Uncomfortable about it for me, you know. Yeah, I think the irony is sort of intended to make it kind of safe, in a way, like knowing. But I don't think it works, and I think it makes it more uncomfortable in a way. I think it's very tokenistic. I think it, for me, it ends up being very tokenistic, as does, you know, the representation of that child and the parents that get like one minute of screen time. So, um, mm. so yeah, there are kind of. You know, in many ways, the film is, is great fun. It's trying to do very interesting things. I think the attempt to make it more feminist or more girl-inclusive, at yeah. least, is, is very deliberate and it's evident in the film throughout. Um, I also just don't think it's very successful. I don't think it's very well integrated. I think kind of there are real ideological problems that, you know, that come through and that maybe the film isn't itself very aware of. Um, so it's a film of moments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, it's more of like it's like a coherent film that's really funny with loads actually going on sort of underneath the surface mm. that makes it less comfortable to watch and enjoy so much. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know because you loved every minute of it. I it, did. Was, it, it was a. It was actually that's my in the, in the moment, pleasure. In was... the moment, it is just fantastic. Yeah, and I, and I, I think that's worth saying. Yeah. You know, cause... and I, I'm beautiful as well. I mean, that's one of the reasons I was happy to go back and see it again mm. because it's beautiful to look at. It is. You know, I mean, the opening yeah. scene is just showing off 
how well they can do rain yeah. and shallow focus. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. it's beautiful. Yeah, no, that was amazing. Uh, I love the whole scenes in the antique shop as well. I mean, mm. you know. That like dust in the air. The dust, yeah, it was wonderful. Um, so anyway, I'm very glad I saw it. Yeah. I'm glad I saw it twice. It is more satisfying the second time. It feels more of a piece, but it feels more holistic. Yes. It feels more so, valuable. So that's good. That's kind of always a sign, um, you know, uh, if the film improves on the second viewing, it's likely that it might even improve on a third. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for listening. Yes, we're eavesdropping at the movies. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube to listen to. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Cheerio. Thank <laughs> you.